Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have a Bostonani from Burger Bodega coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. He is a passionate advocate for the Houston food scene. Matt Harris, welcome back to the show. How are you? Doing well, Daddy. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, 10 Houston restaurants have earned James Beard Award semifinalist nominations. Briefly, they are Chris Williams of Lucille's Hospitality for Outstanding Restaurateur, Christine Ha and Tony Wynn of Sin Chow for Outstanding Chef, Victoria Elizondo of Cochinita & Co. for Emerging Chef, Tatemo for Best New Restaurant, Theodore Rex for Outstanding Hospitality, Nancy's Hustle for Outstanding Wine and Other Beverages Program. And then we have four local nominees for Best Chef Texas, Greg Gatlin of Gatlin's Barbecue, Ben Chawan Painter of Street to Kitchen, I Lee of Nam Gao, and Kieran Verma of Kieran's. So a, a robust group. Matt, I, I want to break this down from a couple of different angles. Uh, but first... Let me just let me just throw it to you. Who are you most excited about to see on this list of semifinalists? Everybody. <laughs> uh, I mean, for me, obviously, you know, Street to Kitchen. You know, i i went to I went to a pretty early pop up that Chef G, as she is known, did like at a restaurant space out in West Houston. You know, I watched them serve at the farmer's market. They opened that little place on the east end next to a gas station. So for that to be counted as one of the very best restaurants in Texas, I think is very exciting. And and obviously to Temo, you know, I just had Emmanuel Chavez on the show a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he's been very vocal about aspiring to this kind of recognition. So, you know, for his hard work, Megan Mall, his his partner's hard work and, and their whole team to be recognized with as one of the best new restaurants in the country. That's really tremendous. I mean, I could I could do this for all of them. You know, I've had many delicious cocktails and wines at Nancy's Hustle. I've always received outstanding service at Theodore Rex. Uh, you know, Chris Williams, everything he did uh to help people in the pandemic, you know, starting Lucille's 1913 holding fundraisers for bartenders who were out of work, et cetera, et cetera. Certainly worthy of, of this kind of recognition. You know, for me, I think, well, let, let me, let me hold off on that. Is there anyone that you, I don't know, snub, maybe a little harsh. Is there anyone that you would have liked to have seen on this list? Um, I, I don't think so. I, I think what I would like to see is a, a better, more transparent, process from james beard that's what i would like to see you know i i don't think that is an unreasonable request because the the thing that really struck me about this list of semifinalists as opposed to last year's list of semifinalists is that there's very little overlap In, indeed none of last year's finalists for best chef texas are even semifinalists this year uh, and that includes, you know, Christine and Tony, who got bumped up to Outstanding Chef, but also, you know, someone like Steve McHugh, who's been at Cured in San Antonio for basically a decade. You know, he's been a multi-time finalist, doesn't even make some finalist list this year. It's so it's not it's not to denigrate the people who are nominated. I'm thrilled for the people who are nominated, but it's not it's not clear to me. You know, there's there's a nominations portal that's open to the public and members of the media. There are recommendations that, that people can make, you know, statements of values and, and purpose that, that people submit, but then how, you know, those, that group of nominees, you know, of submissions gets turned into semifinalists is unclear. And then there will be a committee, you know, there's a committee of uh, mostly media people, that will pick among the semifinalists to get finalists. And then there'll be another round of voting 
uh, to pick a winner from among the finalists. And, and that process is, I think, a little more transparent, but, but it's not, it's not at all clear to me how we got to this, this particular group of semifinalists. And, and then the other thing that strikes me about it is that the Texas, the Texas nominees are very barbecue heavy and, and, and not, not that they're not all worthy. I mean, you know, the, the, the chef from distant relatives in Austin's the team at burnt bean co the, the guys at Goldie's, I mean, they, they all work really hard. They produce outstanding food, but my vision of kind of modern Texas cuisine is a little, is a little broader than barbecue. And so I, I was just surprised to see so many pit masters, right? Blood brothers were a finalist last year. They're not, they're not on the list at all this year. It's, it's not like blood brothers got worse. In fact, I think they, they saw that nomination and, and were inspired to be even better. I'd say Blood Brothers is as good as it's ever been. So, you know, they're they're not on the list this year. And so I that part of the process is is opaque to me. I agree. I also am am not sure there's transparency out at the next level outside of the people that are are voting to go from semifinalist to finalist and then on the final awards um are we are, are we getting into this are we are we, we can get i i i know you have strong opinions about this i i wanted i'm i'm glad that it's you this week and i and i know that you i feel like you have something to say it's true daddy uh as you said i am very happy for all the nominees both locally and across the state uh i think anything that uh provides a boost to to restaurants is a plus in my book um there are some real structural issues with james beard in my opinion uh it starts with transparency one of their values is transparency but from what i could find for best chef the criteria is exceptional talent and creativity in their craft that's it so, you know, I'm not sure what that means. And I'm not sure at the end of the day, what you're looking for is credibility, you know, and that, that to me seems ambiguous enough that you could have any list of best chef. Do they have to have uh, brick and mortar? Do they have to be open to the public a certain number of days uh, do they have to be in existence for more than a year? Maybe these things are, are answered, but I haven't seen where they are. So, you know, the, the list to me feels very compartmentalized to the point of being manufactured. As you pointed out, well, the semifinalist list from 2022 to 2023 has five of the same nominees so 15 people that were on last year's semifinalist list are not on this year's semifinalist list so I, I at the end of the day i think i i'm left with more questions than answers and i'm not sure and maybe it's just me i'm always willing to admit that i might be the only person and that's fine i don't think so but uh it seems that this is as an organization, it's less of this is who we are and there's more focus on the superficies and what it looks like on paper. You know, I think you could kind of dig into the, you know, jamesbeard.org slash award slash policies. As you said, you know, there's a, there's a couple of sentences. The Beard Foundation's Restaurant and Chef Awards honor members of the American food, beverage, and hospitality industries who demonstrate excellence in their respective fields. Winners show exceptional talent and creativity in their craft and commendable leadership among their colleagues and peers. So the James Beard Foundation is dedicated to promoting a strong, safe, inclusive, ethical food community. And these awards reflect those values. So how the people who vote evaluate both exceptional talent and creativity and commendable leadership that's that's a fluid sort of thing right and and clearly you know pre 2020 the 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 structure for the awards was very different past winners voted and so it it felt it, sometimes and and 
you know, in some regions more than others, like, you know, not what you did, but who, you know, and, and if you were, you know, in the right group of chefs or the right style of food, then you could kind of, you could stay on the ballot for a few years and eventually your number would be called. And the Beard Foundation wants to broaden the kind of rec- restaurants that get recognition. And, and you know, we see that, you know, among this year's nominees with places like Gatlin's Barbecue and Nam Gal that in former years probably would not have, you know, pre-2020 would not have been on the list. And and I think that's all to the good. I think we should be looking for excellence beyond tasty menus and fine dining restaurants. I, I think that's all to the good. But but finding the right balance, you know, what did what did Karen what did Karen do in 2022 that she's never done before? I I doubt anything, right? But if there's a champion or two somewhere in the process that that gets really excited about the food that she's doing and wants to recognize her, I mean, I I think that's great. She's she's a you know she's a leader in the community. She she serves outstanding food. I, I've I've never had a bad meal at Karen's. I love sending people there. But you know why? Why now in 2023? I can't. I can't tell you that. It's it's a little clearer with the newer places that they're kind of asserting themselves. That 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 makes more sense to me. But but yeah, there are you know these are these are the questions, and and you know unfortunately we're not going to answer that. But but I do feel like this podcast is a platform to sort of discuss these things and 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 raise these issues and and. But but again, to reiterate, like still be thrilled for everyone. You know, I, I, I'm excited for everyone. I, I want as many people from Houston to win as possible. But looking at the list, I just don't understand why some people made the list last year and not again this year. You know, some people who've never made the list before are on this year when they haven't been before. I don't I don't think we're gonna get answers to that, but but I do think it's worth noting that that's happening and and giving it to people to think about. No, I, 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 I don't disagree. I mean, I, I, at the end of the day, I, it, it, it goes back to credibility, credibility, right? So the idea is, because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm coming at this point for what's best for the restaurant. The more credible the James Beard awards are, the better it's going to be for restaurants. So I have no issue with any of the nominees at all. I think it's great. I I don't think anyone's less deserving, more deserving. But in terms of of credibility going forward, that uh, you know, COVID and the they had the Beard Awards had some of their own sort of self inflicted crisis. It, it reminds me a little bit of a uh, of a of a coach when a coach gets fired because he was you know, either too strict or not strict enough. And so that pendulum swings in the other direction. So we've, we've moved away from, you know, the chefs and, and that sort of the chef bubble. And now we've gone into the food writer bubble. And, and I think this is an issue that's, that's larger than James Beard. There's, there's some credibility issues across food media, in my opinion. You know, and lists and awards are at the top of that credibility chart. You know, the best new restaurants. Like, if I read another best list, best Tex-Mex in Houston. I mean, just enough. Anyway, that's a different topic for another day. Right. We'll we'll do that another day. Uh, any more on on the Beard Awards before we move on? Uh, congratulations again to all the nominees. Uh, as you said. Would love to see as many winners from Houston as possible. All right. Let us move on to topic number two. Ben Berg has announced that he will open Benny Chow's, a Cantonese-style Chinese restaurant in the building next to B&B Butchers on Washington Avenue. I talked to Ben about this a little bit. He says, you know, like, like a lot of his restaurants take a certain amount of inspiration from Places in New York, Benny Chow's does too. This time it's Mr. Chow's, China Grill, a couple others. And it's, it's sort of pitched as a an elevated take on Cantonese cuisine. You know, dim sum style, app, shared appetizers, big tables with bi-level lazy Susans, 
Peking duck, beef with broccoli made with filet mignon, lobster fried rice, that sort of thing. Matt, let me let me throw it to you. What do you what do you think? Are you excited about Benny Chow's? Do you do you anticipate that you'll want to eat there? Uh, as you know, I have a pretty long-standing policy of not saying anything negative about restaurants. Right. Let me let me let me put it to you like this. Right. You and I have have dined on various celebratory Chinese meals together. You know, we've been up to Bamboo Garden in the Humble area. We've been to Hai Kang seafood restaurant for ginger scallion lobster and crab fried rice. If I said to you, Matt, I'm paying your choice. Benny Chow's or Hai Kang, where are we going? Hai Kang. Do you want to say why? Because it's delicious. It, it, it is undeniably delicious. But I, I do think there are people who, for reasons that, you know, for, for their own reasons, whatever those reasons are, probably will not go to Hai Kang, but might be excited about Benny Chow's. And so on its own terms, you know, that, but all, I think there is something to be said for, we are huge fans of this kind of food. We want to do our version of it. We want to do it respectfully. We want to do it from a place of enthusiasm. I, I think, I think that's different. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's tough. Uh, I I don't disagree that it is doable, but uh, I'll leave that for others to decide. Yeah, and I and I don't want to condemn a place before we have a chance to open it and try it. You know, before it has a chance to open and we have a chance to try it, because you know we did go to that Mexican restaurant and we did have good meals there. Um, I'm not sure that's exactly what I would say, and I don't think that that negates the problem i don't i don't think that i'm gonna i'm gonna get a productive conversation of this but but i i will say i don't necessarily want to limit who can open what kind of restaurant no i i i agree there's this yeah it's not that's that is not the issue i think it's more acute than that uh, I think that there is a certain approach, uh, and and that you've identified that it can be done well, and so certainly there's a little TBD uh, involved in this. I, I just think it's it's a really fine line, and just because it can be done doesn't necessarily mean it should be done. You know. I think I look at a restaurant like Hai Kang as a different sort of sphere than than more Cantonese style Chinese American restaurants, the Shanghai Rivers, Qin Dynasties of the world, and and I think that's where Benny Chow's fits in. And I think you know compared to those restaurants which I dine at and which I enjoy, I think Benny Chow's might have a contribution. And and when I want ginger scallion lobster and soft scrambled eggs with shrimp and those crunchy little anchovy things, I'm going to high Kang. And when I want fancy beef with broccoli, you know, maybe I'll go to Benny Chow's and, and I see them, I see them discreetly just as I see, you know, Tex-Mex is distinct from, from more traditional Mexican food, from taquerias, from, from everything else, right? They're, they're all, they all have their place. And and I think that's kind of where I come down on on Benny Chow's. Yeah, I, I think in, in the general that's not unfair, but I, I do think that is everything is also on a case by case basis. So maybe we should go to High King and hash this out further. Uh anytime. And let let you know, let's get a group together and let's crush one of those seven hundred dollar crabs. That's what I really want to do. I'm in. All right. And then topic number three, you know, actually, um, can I, can I pivot on, on topic number three for you? Can we talk about Hubcap Grill closing? Pivot away. All right. Topic number three, breaking news as we record this on Monday afternoon, 
Hubcap Grill has closed its location on 19th Street. I talked to Ricky Craig, the owner of Hubcap Grill. He said that the the property on which he's been for about a dozen years is in the process of being sold. It's going to be some sort of residential development. And so, you know, he's been month to month for a long time. And, and now that he's signed, he's purchased a property in Santa Fe for a new location. He's uh, he's moving on. You know, he, he could he probably could have kept it going until April or May, but it had, it had kind of run its course on on 19th Street. And so, Matt, let me just let me just ask you, I mean, do you have a, a particular memory of going to Hubcap Grill on 19th Street for a burger? Not as much on 19th Street, more the downtown location. But, you know, I mean. In some ways, as far as burgers go, I mean, Hubcrack Grill, Grill was was a trailblazer. Ironically, was just speaking about this over the weekend back, you know, where um, I think burgers are having a little bit of a renaissance. You may be talking with one of the uh, members of that burger renaissance here after our our segment. But, you know, back in the in the early aughts, the Burger Guys, Hubcap Grill, man, that was that was a real deal. I think that's very well said. And and I I just want to give maybe a little more context and, and my own thought about that, which is that, you know, prior to Hubcap and the Burger Guys, especially Bernie's Burger Bus was part of that, too, you know, especially in its food truck form. There were the kind of legacy burger joints, Christian's Tailgate, Lankford Grocery, Stanton City Bites, a couple others uh, that were kind of the consensus whenever you ask, like, what's the best burger in Houston? And then this new crew came in and and just really reevaluated, like turned turn the whole thing upside down, particularly in terms of, you know, creative toppings and and like really obsessive about fresh cut fries and twice fried and and all of that stuff, making things in house, you know, it was pretty revolutionary. And and you mentioned, right. Quality beef for sure. Quality bun. You mentioned that downtown location for Upcraft Grill. I was, I was talking about this with somebody earlier today. It was a commitment. You know, it was only open for lunch. It only took cash and it had hardly any seating. So if you wanted that burger, you really had to want it. And and then you know since it's downtown, it didn't have didn't have dedicated parking, so your street parking and this is pre-smartphone, so you better have enough change to feed a meter, or or be lucky enough to to find a surface lot where you could you could pay cash. I mean, it, it's just it's a it's a very different restaurant world. It's a pre-social media, you know, still managed to build a huge following through, you know, word of mouth and blogs. Just a, a pioneering, a pioneering restaurant, and and you know that that now both interloop locations downtown on the Heights are gone. It's the end of an era for sure. I, I I think there's there's some truth in that. You know, I think it also is is a good mirror to see how far Houston's come in the last decade or so. That uh, you know we're we're a very vibrant, diverse city, and I think it's only getting better. You know, I, I have fond memories of, of Cap Girl, of, you know, I mean, as you said, you you know, it was, it was a little bit of an outing, and the burgers were really good. Yeah. No, I, I think that's well said. All right. I'm going to say that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurant of the week. Stick around. Matt, for our restaurant of the week, I want to talk to you about Carne Korean Steakhouse. This is uh, Dak and Bop owner Jason Cho's new restaurant in the Heights. You know, it's a it's a Korean barbecue, Korean steakhouse. Right. Tabletop cooking, you know, a selection of various cuts of meat done in in an elevated way. 
kind of kind of blending that classic Korean barbecue experience that many people may have had on Long Point with some American style steakhouse fine dining aspects of sophisticated cocktail program, a very attractive interior, more refined service. Now I will say that we we did not dine there together, so we had different experiences. So let me just ask you, Matt, what did you think of your meal at Carne Korean Steakhouse? I enjoyed it. Uh, mostly the the selection and quality of meats. I felt like it's not what I would term inexpensive, but I did feel like uh, we got a fair amount of food for our dollar. So it was a good value proposition. It's it's uh, it's a little bit, um, you know. I'm old. I like to eat like five or five thirty. Be in bed by seven thirty, so it's probably not my scene. Um, but I I certainly had a good time. It's very lively, you know. It it's it's that's, that's the word I was looking for, Daddy. I am not lively, so. <laughs> I mean, you you can pick it up and put it down when you have to. Fair enough. Yeah, let me let me just say, I mean, I I had a an absolutely like very extravagant meal at Carne as Jason's guest with a couple of friends, and and if that is the the program that you are excited about, you know, if you've seen some of the influencers uh, on social media who've been there and had meals similar to mine, you know, the oysters with you know, your choice of uni and caviar, the beef tartare with the caviar, you know, and the and the quail yolk and the milk bread, you know, the the Japanese A5 that, that gets, you know, cooked on the cooked on the grill. I mean, you know, you can you can spend you can spend a lot of money at Carne and have a very decadent meal. Or what I what I would say that you should do is is go for that carnivore platter. Uh, that's sixty bucks a person. It comes with with five different cuts. It comes with you know the, the banchan, the egg souffle, the the kimchi, all of that stuff, and then get a couple of apps. I mean, I I thought the uh, the rice wine mussels were very exceptional. I thought the cured pork belly was very delicious. The tuna crudo was very nice, and and you know have a drink or two, and and you know you'll get out for you know, a hundred dollars a person instead of two or three times that. So I think there's a way to, to, to have a good experience at this, at this restaurant at a, at a price point that's similar or even a little bit less than some of the, some of the more refined steakhouses. Are there any specific dishes you want to, uh, you want to mention? I mean, far be it for me to tell someone what they should do, daddy. I will just say that's what we did. Uh, and it was very successful. So um, I will will countenance your suggestion uh, as a way to do carne. It yeah, it was. So it, it you know it was it was good. It was just it was just all good across the board. That uh, I, I I did the I think the the biggest thing for me was you know they they cook your meat for you. They also for me cook it appropriately. It wasn't underdone. It wasn't overdone. The service was enthusiastic and, you know, just no complaints. So, and, th- and that, and that's, um, that's high marks for. Right. For we we should just, we should just explain to people, you are fussy about your steak cookery. You, you can cook a nice steak at home. And so you, when you're paying other people to cook your steak, you hold them to a high standard. Well, I just, I, I think that, you know, there wasn't anything that wasn't, done well and and well in terms of service was nice price point was nice quality the food was nice um you know and there's a lot to be said for that in my opinion i agree with all of that i really enjoyed it i look forward to going back yes after we go to hiking done done and done all right (laughs) matt i'm gonna say that does it for the restaurant of the week thank you very much thanks daddy and I'll be right back with a Bostonani.
I am joined this week by the owner of Burger Bodega. He's also the man behind Houston Eats, a very successful Instagram and TikTok account. Abbas Danani, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great, Eric. Thank you for having me. Thanks for doing this. As you know, I, I like to start kind of at the beginning of a person's career. Your family owns the Danani Group, which owns literally hundreds of, of franchise restaurants. They own Cyclone Anaya's, they own La Madeline. So, so let me just ask you, like, what was it like kind of growing up in, in such a, a successful restaurant owning family? Well, um, I'd say the biggest takeaway uh, in, in growing up in such a family is, you know, it, it was always about hard work and dedication. And that's kind of like led me to where I am today. Um, using the restaurant background, um, the, in operations and managing a business, I, I was able to take that and kind of move it, um, into my dream and passion with Burger Bodega. I mean, was, was there ever any doubt growing up that you would go into the restaurant business or like, did you ever, <laughs> did you ever think about, you know, being a marine biologist or something or did you always kind of know? No, no, no. I mean, it was pretty, pretty much understood that, all right, this is, uh, this is what I'm going to do. You know, a lot of people ask me, like, is the restaurant, is the restaurant business difficult, whether it was Burger Bodega or whether it was um, my family business. But to be honest, Eric, to me, it's, I don't know anything else. So I like the restaurant business is all I know. So I can't answer if it's difficult or not, because I have nothing to compare it to. So yeah, there was like no doubt in my mind that this is what I was going to do. And then, and then the other thing I, I wanted to sort of set up as a background is most of the people who sort of become influencers, you know, they, they like going out to eat or, or maybe some of them want, you know, attention or access. You're more of an insider. I mean, you, you grew up in the business, you, you, you have a, a more personal knowledge of its, of its inner workings. What sort of inspired you to to launch Houston Eats and and yeah, start I guess start with that. All right. So what inspired me to start Houston Eats is so back in 2011, there was like several restaurants I was eating at where I was like, man, more people need to know about the these spots. Um and I started off as as just a way uh I started off with Houston Eats as, as a way to show my friends where I'm eating. So it kind of started there. I was like, man, uh, like this place has this thing. I need, I need them to know about it. This place has that thing. So, so that's kind of how it started. Uh, I, I remember I was sitting in a restaurant. It's not a restaurant that I would ever eat at now, which is crazy. But at the time I was like, nah, people need to know about this place. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, I think I'm going to start a food blog. And I'm sitting at the table and I literally made it on the spot. And my friend is like, you should call it Houston Eats. Um, I don't know if it's still around, but Blogspot, it was, uh, it, it was originally houstoneats.blogspot.com. And once Instagram came about, I moved it over to Instagram. Uh, but the thing was, my photography sucked. So I, I figured out somewhere along the way that I need to get better at taking pictures if I want to do this uh, more seriously. Um, and from there it was just kind of snow uh, a snowball effect you know what i'm saying like it's just uh one place to the to the next and one connection and it, it, it almost became like a network th networking thing um and uh a, a passion thing i guess you could say yeah because you were part of that food blogger collective for a minute right that that's kind of where i i think i met you know i think i met you i met i met danielle i met i met a bunch of people that were yeah, so I think the main one was Grub Club. Uh, that's right. Thank you. Yes, yeah. that's right. So Houston Food Blogger Collective was a thing, but I think Grub Club was like really, you know, if you if you were a blogger that that was somebody you were in Grub Club. I was was always my goal to get into Grub Club. Now everyone's just kind of like independently doing their own food blog and worrying worrying about their own food blog. But Grub Club was like the group to be in uh, back in the day, back back before the pandemic. Yeah, I think I think that's kind of that was where I I sort of first, you know, you uh, 
Hangry Houstonian, Eating with Catherine, Houston Hotspots, Houston Foodies. Uh, you know, I think I think that I think yeah, I think Grub Club is where. You know, I think I think that's probably when I started following a bunch of y'all. And you know, I, I I know there's always this kind of tension between, you know, media people and you want to call yourself a blogger. I'll I, you know, I won't use the I word. I'll 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 leave it alone. But you know, I I always I always thought it was like a healthy dialectic, right? I I mean, you know, I certainly have my role uh, in regards to news and and all that. But then, you know, I like kind of seeing where people are eating and and you know, there are parts of town that I don't get to as readily, you know, certainly, certainly in Chinatown, certainly in the suburbs. Uh, and it's, it's nice to have that resource to kind of scout and see what's exciting and, and see how people are responding to things. I, I, I think it's a good, I think there's room for everybody is my, my long way of, of getting to the point. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, although the game, the food blogging game, and we can use the word influencer, that's cool too, but the game has has really changed nowadays. Um, but what, like you know, whatever opinion people have on food bloggers or what have you, a lot of my friends and peers that are food bloggers, they've really, really turned some businesses around. So I think that's really, really um, the cool part of it. And then yes, you do, you know, get something out of it. But for that part, you know, um, and, and, you know, not just us, you see it around the nation, you know, there's, there's that one guy on TikTok that saved that business in, in Vegas, uh, and, and, and you see it everywhere. I think that that part is what really, really makes it cool. Yeah. And, and I think that's what I've always liked about your content is that it comes from a place of enthusiasm that, you know, you know, obviously you're never going to say anything bad about a restaurant. If you don't like it, it just doesn't make your feed. But, you know, the places that you you get really excited about, you know, as you kind of follow someone and you and you try a place, you get to know their their taste a little bit, you could you can kind of figure out like whether, you know, if if Houston Eats is excited about a place, like I will also like it. And, and I think I think that's all to the good. And and I do think, you know, yeah, I the game has changed, right? There's a lot more you know, like, I think, you know, what I like about your content is that it, it does kind of come from that place. There's kind of less of that, you know, pay for play. And, and, but I, you know, I don't, I don't know how you feel about this. I, I always feel like some people can kind of see through that, you know, that, that, you know, we're only, you're, you know, it's only, it's only making the feed. It's only getting recommended because, you know, the person got comped or because they're, they're being compensated in some way. You know, I, I don't, I don't find that stuff as useful. Yeah, no, absolutely. For me, it's more passion. This is not my day job. This is not something uh, that I uh, make a big living off of or, or anything like that. For me, it's like, you know, me, meeting people like you or telling the story of a chef or where a certain food came from, you know, like th that, that's for me, that to me is, is what it, what it's about and um, more big picture, you know, things that come, come with it. You know what I'm saying? Like I, Burger Bodega might not exist without Houston Eats. Yeah, so let's let's talk about Burger Bodega because I, you know, I I remember having this conversation with someone else, a mutual friend of ours, you know, around the time you were you were starting the Burger Bodega pop-ups and he's like, "Look, Abbas's family is very successful. He could he could work in that family business and and have a nice living. You know, he doesn't he doesn't need to do this." So, so let me just ask you, I mean, what, why, why go out on your own? Why kind of put yourself out there in this way with Burger Bodega instead of just, you know, kind of keeping your head down and doing and staying in the family business? So the, the number one, com no, the number one thing that comes to mind when you ask that, Eric, is I didn't want to look back in my forties and fifties and say, why didn't I do it? Because I knew my whole life that this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to own my own restaurant, my own brand, um, and more specifically, a brand that focused on burgers. Um, so, so that's the main reason. I didn't want to look back and and say why didn't I do it? All my life, I thought you know it was just it was just like a, a vision that's not going to happen. I think sometime during the pandemic, I had a lot of time to think, and um, you know, very grateful for my time uh, doing what I did with the family business, 
and burger bodega is is also family business but uh the whole the chain restaurant thing i i was like man i i gotta do this like i've i've i gotta follow my passion and do it and if not i always have the family business so why not just try it all right so so let me ask you then you know because i i know that you're passionate about other kinds of food too right you know i've I've joked about you being the chicken sandwich king of Houston, for example. <laughs> you know, what was it about burgers specifically that, that that was where you wanted to make your mark? So there's a couple of things. So burgers, have, I've, always been a passion, uh, I've always been passionate about. I've been working on burger recipes for over 10 years, whether it was grilling in the backyard. Um, you know, I used to cut up my own uh, beef and uh, make my own blends and, and all that sort of stuff. So always a, a big passion of mine. So I knew it was going to be burgers, but I think it, it was all about timing because I missed the mark on hot chicken. I missed the mark on birria, uh, which I probably wouldn't have done anyways, but I saw smash burgers was the next up and coming thing uh, out of a thing in LA. And I was like, I'm not going to miss this one. So I, I was like, I, well, I found the golden opportunity. No one was doing smash burgers in Houston at the time. Now, now it's a little different, obviously, but at the time no one was doing it. So I was like, I want to be one of the first ones. And the thing about smash burgers is whether it's a trend or it's not a trend, people still will always eat burgers. You know, I talked about this with, with Bun when he was on the podcast, you know, obviously he's got troll burgers and, and that's been very successful for him, but you know, he, he, he likes that. It's a very, it's a very basic burger. It's like the, you know, almost the platonic ideal of a burger. It's it's thin patties, you know, crispy edges, melty cheese, minimal toppings. It, it it's it's the kind of burger that you, you know, they're very easy to eat, and and it's the kind of burger that if you just sort of if I were like draw a burger, I think most people would draw something like a smash burger. Yeah, no, absolutely. That I kind of like. Uh, it's kind of like a, a symbol of who I am as a person because that's the type of burger I like, like, you know, um, you know, nothing against anyone who's serving a avocado bacon burger or anything like that, but that's just not who I am. If I go to a burger place, I'm ordering the regular classic cheeseburger. Yeah. I, I saw a comment on social media a while back about, oh, he does you can't get bacon at, at burger. Bodega. It's like, <laughs> Nope, that, that is not how smash burgers work. Right. There, <laughs> there's a million other burger joints. Uh, that will be happy to put bacon on a burger, but that that smash burger it's it's real pure, you know no, onions, no, pickles, absolutely. cheese, sauce. That's really it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, it's about keeping it simple. So, I, I mean, you you mentioned you were you were kind of keeping track of trends in L.A. I mean, I know you went to L.A. I know you went to New York. I mean, talk a little bit about kind of the the research that you did to refine the burger bodega concept. So I knew. Uh, when I started this, I wasn't going to just, just go into it. Yeah, I had to see what the scene was like. So I went to LA, had, I think, like eight or nine burgers in two days. Uh, I had uh, anywhere from Easy Street Burger to Hi-Ho Cheeseburger, Burgers Never Say Die, you know, Alvin Kalon's concept, um, Heavy Handed. Uh, big, and I've been a big fan of those guys for a while. So I was like, I got to try them all, you know, see what see what they're about. Um, see what makes every single one of them different. Every single one of them had something that 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 was special about them. So I was like, all right, well, I got to try these and kind of figure out what makes mine special and all that and and, and all that. So uh, did that. Um, spent a few days in LA. There went to New York. Um, there was a, a, a smash burger concept uh, that was kind of taking shape there as well. So I tried that one, and then also. Besides burgers, uh, the other thing on my menu is chopped cheese. So while I was in New York, I uh, I wanted to see what the chopped cheese was all about before you know before making it, before putting it on my menu. And aside from that, just kind of researching the New York culture. I spent I spent a lot of time in New York. New York is probably like the city that I spend the most time in, uh, aside from Houston. So I didn't want to make a concept that was New York themed without like paying its due respect. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, I, I wanted to actually be in there and feel, you know, see the graffiti and be on the streets and and kind of give it that same vibe. 
Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because it was it was something else I wanted to sort of discuss with you is because there there's a lot of design in Burger Bodega for a, a, a pretty small space. You know, you have the the branded Houston products, you know, 713 up and stuff like that. You you did have the graffiti wall. Again, like people are going to kind of judge you, you know, in a fast, casual environment. You don't necessarily see that much thought in design and atmosphere. So let me just ask, like, you know, how did you kind of conceive of that? And, and why was it so important to you? Well, so that just goes back to Houston Eats. Uh, in my time doing Houston Eats, I saw how important it was to have things that people need to, people have, people want to take a picture of. Right. So I was like, so a burger bodega is a restaurant that it, that an Instagram influencer came up with. And it, it was New York themed. Uh, it was bodega themed. So if you look on the back wall, we have like all our grocery products uh, as decoration. And that was going to be just normal products. But I was like, why not just take it a step further and give it all, uh, give it our own branding. So work with the guys from Letterset. They did an awesome job um, doing all, all our custom uh, grocery store items. Um, and then uh, V and Han of Very Handsome Studios kind of brought my vision together but they brought it together like way better than I imagined it, imagined it in my head. Um, and then uh, again, New York vibes, right? So you gotta, you gotta have the graffiti walls. I worked with uh, donkey boy there. Donkey boy has a group of students ages 10 to 15, mostly girls. Um, so it's kind of his vision to have the girls paint uh, their own bo bodega cats. Bodega cats also very important in bodega culture. And any mural in New York, whether it's pretty, whether it's ugly, it's always going to get vandalized. So we had uh, Donkey Boy's friend and graffiti artist Snoke come and vandalize all the cats with graffiti, but he vandalized it with uh, with meaning, right? So like he, if if a kid drew a cat, he graffitied their name over their cat, and then there's like just um, subtle respects to everything along the way you know like our building was fire station number 11 from 1937 to 1991 so you see us uh, paying respect to that paying respect to a bunch of different elements in houston culture and then you make your way um to the bathroom and the bathroom hallway kind of should, should feel like you're just walking in the streets of new york with uh you know like the brick uh the brick and uh, the graffiti over it. And that brick is like actual brick veneer that they concreted into the wall. It's not, it wasn't there. Um, and the bathroom should feel like, you know, like an urban subway station bathroom um, with like our own little flair in it. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of, uh, that's kind of what the whole vision was there. Right. And then, you know, you, you know, you didn't just open the doors, you know, you didn't just announce, you didn't just announce on social media and open the doors. You, you know, you, you held a series of pop-ups for uh, the better part of a year to kind of, you know, build awareness and refine the concept. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, you're a big, you're a big pop-up attendee. And so just maybe just talk about kind of, kind of that process and, and what you, you know, what did you, what did you kind of learn or, or what did, what did that experience, how did that shape uh, opening the restaurant? So uh, yes, I am a big pop-up attendee, but I'm also a big, you know, uh, just diner in the Houston food scene. So I took inspiration from not just restaurants, but also the pop-up scene, you know, uh, Josh from Underground Creamery and Emmanuel from Tetemo, they, uh, in our community, at least they really set up, um, a good platform for, for a lot of people. And I was like, all right, well, I also want to be a part of this, especially with my smash burger idea. And, uh, and, and I was around it so much. I kind of knew what, what uh, it meant to do. And then also, you know, I, I, I volunteered at some, like at, at Josh's market and, and Emmanuel's market, I was uh, uh, helping out at the Neo tent. So I, I kind of knew what it took. Um, and, and not only that, it, like you said, it, it helped me refine our, um, our, our flavor profile and our, uh, recipes and do people actually want to eat this? You know what I'm saying? 
um, every pop-up almost, there was something different. Like uh, from the first pop-up, yeah, it's the same burger, but it's also not the same burger that you have now. Right. Like refining the portion size or tweaking the sauce here and there, or, or you know, you, you had a pretty clear vision for it. And so it was, it was a pretty well-defined thing when you launched it. But, but I do think there's like an element of, you know, consistent execution that comes from, you know, having a line with 50 people in it, uh, all of whom are hungry and all of whom want to eat it as soon as possible. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, so having the pop-up, you, you really get, uh, you know, just a, a look and feel of the environment before like having the courage to go full on brick and mortar, which a lot of people have been able to do. And that's what really makes, you know, the use in culture, food culture, really special. So, you know, you opened, uh, what, I guess in, uh, October, November, how's it going? Uh not bad. We're very, very grateful uh, for the response. Uh, you know, people seem to like the food. Um, some people say it's overrated, uh, which is which is all good too. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean that uh, was inevitable, right? You're always, there's always <laughs> you know there's always going to be haters. Yeah, no, no, it's all, no, it's all good. Uh, but you know, a lot of people seem to like it. So you know, that's that's definitely what matters the most to me. I I mean, you know, you're you're very modest, and I I won't. I won't rub your nose in it too much, but I mean, Burger Bodega is on just about every list of the best new restaurants of, of 2022. You know, I follow it on Instagram closely enough to know that you, you sell out with some consistency. I, I mean, safe to say it's, it's got to at least, at least be meeting your expectations, if not exceeding them a little bit. Oh no, no, absolutely. But uh, to be honest, Eric, like just being able to open the doors and, and serve my burgers to Houston is is uh is special enough and i'm grateful for that everything else after that is, is, a, is a big bonus you know and, and i guess i i mean we didn't we haven't talked about the chopped cheese but uh you know that's that's not really a sandwich that i think you know you see very often in houston do people get it i mean it's it's not it's not a complicated thing it's sauteed burger meat with peppers and onions but um does it sell well yeah it sells well but i think more it sells more because of the curiosity. Like, what is a chopped cheese? And yeah, like there are a lot of repeat customers for it as well. But that's another thing I want to bring to Houston. Like people do burgers in Houston and you can, you know, argue what's a smash burger, what's not a smash burger. But chopped cheese is something that I never saw on any Houston menu. So that's something I uh, I, I really want, wanted to bring here uh, as well. And and then I, I just want to ask you about the shakes because... You know, you you worked with uh, Steve Marquez of Craft uh, Creamery, who who was part of the Burger Guys back in the day. Some of my favorite shakes of all time. So, how's that? How's that aspect going? And and how did that kind of come together? So I don't know if you know this, Eric, but that actually happened because of you. So, Craft um, Creamery reached out. You know, for, well, what, one thing is I heard his interview with you on this very, very podcast a while back. So I was like, all right, I know who he is now, and I really want to try Craft Creamery now. So I tried it. Um, when I was kind of in the process of building out a restaurant, he messaged me saying, you know, hey, I, you know, we used to do Burger Guys. We had a shake program. Eric loves our shakes, more specifically the Vietnamese coffee. I was like, all right, well, if Eric loves it, I got to <laughs> I gotta at least try it. So, uh, you know, I, I took a meeting with with Steve. Uh, who's been awesome, uh, the brains behind all their shakes. Um, uh, so that's kind of how it came together. You know, he just messaged me on Instagram. We set up a meeting. We felt like our goals were aligned with, uh, you know, what we were trying to achieve. Um, we got to bring back some of the Burger Guys uh, classic flavors. So that was cool because, you know, it is part of um, Houston's history. And not only that, you know, in our first meeting, he was like, well, Abbas, look, you're Pakistani you need to have like um, something that respects your, your Pakistani culture as well. And without like making my, my menu too Pakistani, it was kind of like a subtle nod to it. Um, so we decided on adding the, the mango lassi shake to the menu. Yeah. And, and I will say the, the Vietnamese coffee shake is, is every bit as good as I remember it. And I like the, the, the mango. I mean, I, it's, it's bright. It's, 
you know, it's not, it's not sweet. It's, you know, it's sweet, but not too sweet. Uh, and I think it kind of cuts, it kind of cuts the burger a little bit. It, it provides like a, almost an acidic kind of counterpoint. Um, I think it's, I think it's really, it's a really, you know, it's kind of like, instead of a strawberry shake, it's, it's kind of a nice alternative. Absolutely. And credit goes to, um, Steve and, and Kim, uh, for sure. All right. So then, you know, I, I thought it was interesting, you know, you, you, you've, you've established yourself a little bit, you know, you've built the following, you know, you, you have these pop-up routes. So of course you had to host a pop-up. I have to admit, I, I was not familiar with, with the Aki way. I, I don't follow, <laughs> uh, the chopped cheese scene in New York. So, so maybe just explain a little bit about how that came together. And, uh, I mean, I saw, I mean, there must've been like 200 people in that line, uh, at that event. So, so just tell me a little bit about how that came together. Uh, completely by chance. So I been following the Aki way on TikTok since, you know, since, since the beginning of the pandemic, um, super famous guy. And it's, it's crazy because people always like, um, associated us with him kind of because we are a bodega that sells chopped cheese and people, customers always, always joke around saying, Hey, can we get it the Aki way and this and that? I was like, Oh God, <laughs> uh, um, you know, we're not, we're not the Aki way, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it just, it just, uh, it just came together by chance. You know, I got to give credit to, um, um, master, master chef contestant, uh, goes by the name Mo City Joe. He's, he's the one that connected us, that connected us, other people that connected us with Aki. Um, they, you know, we had word that they wanted to do a pop-up here in Houston and that just kind of had to happen. It was, it was, it was really by chance, but we were very, very grateful um that he you know he decided to come here and do a pop-up with us yeah joseph uh manglamo right uh yeah 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 i've, I've met i've met joseph a couple of times good instagram follow uh yeah, no. but but yeah i i was i was looking at the the kind of cross cut of that sandwich like trying to figure out was that mozzarella sticks in there <laughs> yeah so i don't know if you're familiar with those videos i'm not i okay. you know i'm i'm too old for tiktok that's what i've decided Okay, so you go into his bodega um, and you ask for, hey, can I get a chopped cheese on a cinnamon bun with hot Cheetos, the Aki way? And it's just a very, very like uh, extravagant sandwich. Um, so, you know, we knew he knew he had to like kind of just stick to one thing if he was doing a pop up. So they sent me the ingredient list and I was like, okay, well, this is interesting. Um, it was four slices of bread and pretty much both the top and the bottom were like a grilled cheese sandwich. And then you have your beef bacon, halal beef bacon, obviously, and uh, a six ounce portion of ground meat mixed in with, uh, with cheese, uh, mozzarella sticks, spinach. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I think that's it. Um, and then obviously you can't forget the, the Bev quote unquote. Um, so the sandwich did come uh, with a drink as well. Um, oh, also had uh, tomatoes and uh, sweet peppers. Uh, did you get the chance to eat one? I mean, it looked good. Yeah, I got. I mean, I I had a, a a couple of testers. It was actually like, you know, as extravagant extravagant as it was, it was it was actually very good. Do you aspire to kind of host more of these kind of guest chef collaborations in the future? Oh, no. Yeah, no. So this was the goal all along. I didn't think I would start off with such a big one for sure. But, uh, you know, uh, we got some cool ones in the works and it's just going to be something that's ongoing. Uh, it's going to be mostly local Houston chefs and restaurants and personalities. Uh, we got uh, it just kind of happened, but we have two more coming up in back to back weekend. So I have one next Saturday and the Saturday after that as well. You want to you want to tell us what they are? Yeah, so for the for this next this upcoming Saturday, it's uh, National Cancer Day. So me and Seventh uh, Street Burger of New York and Leon Smash Burgers of Australia, uh, they're both coming down here, and we're doing a Smash Cancer event. So we're so Smash Burgers are you know are are all very common uh, within each other, but we're gonna kind of find our own elements and put it together in one burger, and the proceeds of that burger will go to um, Methodist Cancer Research. And then um, the weekend after that, 
uh, I don't want to give away too much on this one, but uh, Donkey Boy and I got something in the works. All right. Well, we will look. We will look forward to that. Of course, we can <laughs> we can follow you, Houston Eats or uh, Burger Bodega for for the details yeah. when they when they come out. And then you know, like I said, I I know you've only you've only been open for a few months, but you know, obviously your your family is very good at at multi unit operations. I mean, do you have some aspirations for Burger Bodega? Would you like to see it multiple locations? maybe Houston and beyond? Honestly, Eric, uh, I I feel like I can't think about that until I have this one completely uh, refined and correct. But yeah, I mean, I think that's the goal of any restaurant operator. When will you, like, when, like, when will you know that it's, like, running exactly the way you want it to? Um, I'll know when it's, you know, when it's refined. I think Burger Bodega will let me know when it's ready. You know what I'm saying? Like the operations will let me know when it's ready. I don't know if there's a, a certain like timeline on it or anything like that. But, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's not something I, I'm in a rush to do or anything like that. Like I said, I, I really want to make sure the concept is right. And uh, I don't want to get too ahead of myself. And let me just sort of like in a, maybe in a more immediate sense, I mean, you know, are you are you kind of fitting in with Washington Avenue? Do you have some? Do you have any plans to kind of do the late night thing? Like like how's that? How how are you fitting in with your neighborhood? Yeah, no, we're uh, we're very very happy to be where we are, uh, mostly because of uh, the residents around us. They're you know they're a big support uh, for us. They, they you know I've got to know a lot of the neighbors, so so that's really cool. And I think for any restaurant, it's very important to you know know the people that live around you. And, um, on, you know, on the other side, there's also a big bar and club scene. And I recognize that going into it, obviously. So I don't know if you've seen the exterior, but there is a little pickup window. Um, so that the plan was to eventually be open, uh, past 9 PM up until 3 AM. And that be kind of like uh, our late night pickup window. We lock the doors and, uh, people could just have a good time just, you know, hanging out outside and uh, uh, utilize their pickup window uh, to have like a, have a, have a late night uh, burger from Burger Bodega. But to be honest, Eric, now that I've opened, I don't know. Uh, it's going to, it's going to be, ha- it's going to be something that I explore down the road. Now that I'm open, I, you know, I, I'm a small space. I don't have a lot of storage to, so um, I don't know if I'd be able to uh, sustain not only, uh, the the inventory for it, but also the product quality till three a.m. So, um, gonna be have gonna be something I have to explore so, somewhere down the line. Right. Essentially, you know, if you can sell all the burgers you can possibly make in a day by nine p.m., there's not really any compelling business reason to stay open until three. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I will say that brings me to the end of my questions. Is there something you would like to discuss that I haven't asked you about? Yeah, no. Uh, so there's one last thing. So one thing about Burger Bodega is, you know, I wanted to give it the look and a feel of a bodega. Um, so, you know, when you walk in there, it should feel like you're in like a mini grocery store. Um, but, uh, you know, no, I'm not a grocery store, so I kind of took it a step further and tied it into Houston Eats. So Burger Bodega kind of acts as like a Houston Eats store. Uh, Houston Eats has always been about showcasing different Houston restaurants and chefs. So that's what Burger Bodega does. Every shelf you look at, it's a different Houston restaurant. Uh, uh, so it's a, so it's actually a functioning bodega um, of products that you that are made by different Houston restaurants and chefs. We have um, our barbecue shelf that features Fiji's barbecue and Blood Bros barbecue. Chef Evelyn Garcia has her shelf, uh, Blue Door and Hot Sauce, uh, which so uh, which we need to uh, re-up on. Those sold out pretty quick. Uh, we have Greenway Coffee. They made us our own bodega blend of coffee. It has our logo on it. Um, Tenfold Coffee is where we did like our pop-up residency. So we have Tenfold Coffee there as well. Seaside poke and then uh, craft pita uh, seasonings and, and their olive oil. And um, uh, the last one we just kind of started doing 
that's been absolutely just flying off the shelf recently was the Koi Curry. Uh, we did some promotion on that, added that to our shelves uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, yeah, people have really, really been loving that. And I, uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if me and him did some, did a collaboration with the curry in our kitchen soon. Yeah. So, I mean, just to be really explicit, this isn't like some, you know, this isn't some gimmick just to give yourself like a little bodega flavor. Like you're, you're actually selling these products in a, in a pretty substantial volume. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, cool. I, I mean, I'm, I'm glad we did this. I'm, uh, I'm glad you were excited about doing this. Uh, of course, before I let you go, we have to play the lightning round. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Abbas Danani, what is your favorite ingredient? Garlic. Garlic for sure. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? Uh, Revolution. What is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive through I don't know if fast food is a guilty pleasure, but... Popeyes for sure. Popeyes three piece <laughs> spicy tenders. <laughs> yeah, you are not allowed to reject the premise of the lightning round question. Uh, who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Hakeem Olajuwon. And then finally, when you are ordering a pizza, what are your go to toppings? Beef and jalapeno. All right, a boss. We mentioned it, but give us the give us the social media. Give us the website for Burger Bodega. Burgerbodega.com. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Burger Bodega HTX and on TikTok at Burger Bodega. Awesome. Thanks again for doing this. Thank you so much, Eric. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.